Hola, Joshua Smizer de Leon here, founder and host of the Basel podcast. Thanks for listening to the show where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community from La Isla to the diaspora. If you want to help us share the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here on Paseo, Boricua, and Chicago and around the world, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts. Subscribing helps more people find the show and will help you make sure you never miss an episode. Leaving a five-star rating and showing some love in the comments helps too. You can also give a donation by looking up the Paseo podcast on savechicagomedia.org. Okay, that's enough from me. Enjoy the show. Bienvenidos and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Paseo podcast. Longtime listeners will know that these episodes pop up from time to time whenever either we have a guest on who is not Puerto Rican or we want to share a good conversation or an announcement from an organization in the Puerto Rican community. In this bonus episode, we're going to share a Facebook Live panel discussion from our friends at Power for Puerto Rico. The topic of discussion is Puerto Rico's recently approved debt restructuring plan that the U.S. Colonial Board, La Junta, has imposed on Puerto Rico. We talked about the new debt restructuring plan and its faults in our last episode and took a deeper dive on our Paseo podcast Instagram page as to why this plan could lead to devastating effects down the road. But what we're sharing today will provide a more in-depth unpacking of the plan's details. The panelists you'll hear from in this episode include Natalia Renta, Senior Policy Strategist for the Center for Popular Democracy, Eva Prados of Frente Ciudadano para la Auditoria de la Deuda, and Daniel Santamaria Oates, Senior Policy Analyst for Espacios Abiertos. The panel will be moderated by former Paseo podcast guest and Director of Power for Puerto Rico, Erika Gonzalez. Let's jump right into it. Good morning, my name is Erica Gonzalez and I'm the director of Power for Puerto Rico, a national stateside coalition of Puerto Rican groups and allies working to advocate for the island. This morning, we are having a discussion around the quote unquote, quote unquote debt ruling that affects Puerto Rico. Many of us have been hearing different information, if at all, about the implications of this debt deal on Puerto Rico. We are here to bring information to you with a great panel of experts in rice and beans in plain language as much as possible so that we have a full understanding as a diaspora community of what the impact is going to be on our friends and family and also what we can do about it. And um, I just I just want to um, say something in the backdrop. A lot of us are hearing a lot of overwhelming information about um, displacement on the island, the debt deal, and a number of other issues that are affecting Puerto Rico. We're worried about the future of our island, about the, whether Puerto Rico will be for Puerto Ricans in the future. And it feels really overwhelming and disconcerting. But you know, I want to make a, a remind just folks of, of what the activist Gloria Quinones has said, that part of colonialism is to make us feel overwhelmed. Is It's a shock and awe tactic. So we have to be mindful that this is the way that this system functions. And we have to be mindful that our community, we have to get grounded in our own history and all the victories that have come out of our community, the diaspora and the island working together. For example, 
to end the Navy's bombardment of Vieques, Puerto Rico was a huge victory and there have been many others. And it doesn't, a lightweight community does not force the US Navy out of Puerto Rico. So we have to get grounded in our strength and our resilience and our ability to work together as a movement to, to push back. And um, as we, we start our panel, I also want to remind folks that this is an interactive discussion. We, we want you to post your questions, anything you don't understand, please post on Facebook below. We have a great panel of experts, as I said, and we appreciate their time. These are folks that have been working on the ground in Puerto Rico and in, the, in stateside to advocate for the island, as I said. So with that, um, the way this panel will work today is that each of the participants, the guests, We'll have five minutes to to make principal points and then we'll have some follow up questions and then we'll turn to you to take your questions and comments and, and really process it through. And we urge you at the end of this to share this link with others so that people are well informed. As you may have seen, um, a, this, this issue is not being covered in depth by U.S. news media, unfortunately. So this is why we've put this panel together to bring information directly to you from folks on the ground. So um, with that, I'll, I'll turn it over uh, to our, our first panelist, uh, Daniel Santamaria Ots of Espacios Abiertos. Thank you. Uh, well, first off, uh, we thank you to Erika and Federico for making this meeting possible. Thank you also to Natalia Neva for sharing panel today. And greetings uh, to all members of the Puerto Rico coalition and the diaspora that is watching today. So as you all know, uh, the result in front of us is not what Espacios Abiertos has been recommending for more than four years. Our recommendations uh, have rested on the shoulders of giants in the fields of economics, such as the Nobel Prize, Joseph Stiglitz, professor at Columbia University. And this opinion was also backed by a consensus among economists of different political ideologies. Puerto Rico needed a fresh start. Um, the recommendations from our experts were crystal clear and proposed that the debt be cut by at least 80% and not 50% that it's what we have right now in front of us. And they also questioned the board's over optimism in the savings that the implementation of structural and austerity measures without a feasible macroeconomic plan will bring to the economy of Puerto Rico. But now we must face this new reality. Uh, and although some voices want to turn page, the next few years are going to be harder for certain sectors of the population of Puerto Rico. We are not all on the same boat. Uh, the vulnerable will suffer the most, uh, and the rules of the game for these processes are not made by and for the benefit of countries that are having a bad economic time. No? Uh, as of today, unfortunately, the international financial legal framework is not at the service of the people and their communities, but at the great financial interests. And in that sense, PROMESA is the product of those interests and has proven to be a failed experiment that mimics the rules of the game that sovereign countries also face as of today. And the judge has spoken, and although without by any means justifying her ruling, she has operated under a law that started ill-conceived. And we already, now, we already know that supposedly judges try to follow the law 
But if the law is unfair and poorly designed, we cannot expect to get a fair result. And we have winners and losers. Uh, the former are the ones who, who write the rules and the latter are, the, are those who suffer from them. The hedge fund or, or vulture funds that tripled their profits when Hurricane Maria was hitting Puerto Rico have won this battle. And who lost it? Well, our teachers and pensioners, among others. And even more importantly, those who will lose the most have been absent and neglected completely in this process. Our future generations, the children living in Puerto Rico, unfortunately, will have fewer opportunities to get ahead. But although it is true that the one who has led the process in the fiscal is the fiscal board under the framework of PROMESA, Puerto Rico and the few democratic elements that remain have a life with the possibility to stop a deficient proposal, I'm talking about the executive branch and especially the legislature, could well have rejected an offer that is clearly not sustainable and unaffordable since the board itself projects a primary fiscal deficit, or in other words, red numbers in Puerto Rico by 2036, if there are no more reforms. The board needed the legislative assembly and unfortunately, the majority of its members did not play its cards very well. And their main three arguments for the local policymakers to defend their position were the following. First, perhaps this is not the best proposal for Puerto Rico, but we must end the board now, since the main cause for the people of Puerto Rico is to continue paying every penny that the board costs. And this sounds reasonable, the second reason that they, they brought is we want to finish this process to be able to recover our powers, the powers that the people gave us through their vote in order to make our own public policy and even, and even to reverse the policies that we do not like from the board. And also, again, it seems very convincing. And third, what they were saying is that we want to begin the needed four consecutive years of balanced budgets and to regain access to credit markets in the short and long term at reasonable rates, something that's in, in, in PROMESA law. All of them necessary conditions for the board to leave. And if I may, I will clarify to what I consider the three main misconceptions that were used to approve this plan by our local policymakers. First, the true cost for the people of Puerto Rico. Without by any means subscribing that the people of Puerto Rico are the ones that should pay for the board, the, the approximately $1 billion already spent among consultants, lawyers, and other financial experts, although onerous and unfair, it is despicable if you compare it with the greater cost to the people of Puerto Rico. The most important cost is the $84 billion in austerity measures that Puerto Rico will face in the next 30 years and how this translates to our daily lives. And why me at the diaspora should I be worried about that? But just let me name a few examples of the austerity that will suffer your friends and family here in the island. For example, a 33% increase in electricity rates, up to a 5% increase in water consumption rates before 2022, between 300% and 400% increase in toll roads almost half a billion dollars in cuts for the UPR for the University of Puerto Rico, representing almost 50% of its budget appropriations. 
A 36% increase per credit of undergrad students at UBR, and also the impoverishment of 40% of the purchasing power of our retired teachers. And, and, and the list goes on and on. But those are just a brief example. Two, local policymakers also were saying that we want the board to live to recover our power and make our, your, uh, our own public policy. Well, it's important to understand that validating the plan of adjustment not only implies payments of up to $1.5 billion over the next three decades, paradoxically, signing this agreement means a de facto resignation of making public policy from the executive or legislative branches for the next decades. The plan of adjustment is not sustained in a vacuum, but rather is based on a fiscal plan that defines those, pol those policies in detail. A plan that should be followed in its entirety by the government after the judge's decision, or we won't be complying, and that we will have effects. Any deviation from that script could backfire and cause that the fiscal deficit that the board projects by 2036 to be brought forward. The Ernst and Young board's own expert testimony signed before Judge Taylor Swain that if the government and the legislature did not implement its reforms, the board would have overestimated its revenues by $1 billion per year over the next 30 years. So in summary, in the best scenario, the board may live in four years, but its policies will permanently limit access to essential services for the next generations of Puerto Ricans. Even if the board leaves, its austerity policies will remain. Third, local policymakers were also saying that we want to approve this plan to meet the two conditions for the board to leave the island. The first condition to, to obtain the four consecutive years of balanced balance budgets. And the second one, to be able to recover access to the credit markets at the reasonable rates. The second condition will be difficult to put in place for two reasons. The first reason is that the board's new credit policy limits the issuance of new debt to 7.94% of its income. And Puerto Rico has already committed 90% of that. To be exact, 7.16% is committed as of today. The second reason is that to be able to access credit markets at reasonable rates, which are not the ones that we have today in the restructuring in which the new ones will pay between four and 5%, we need a credible macroeconomic plan so that the markets that, that not, does not see the risk of defaulting once more in Puerto Rico and can lend us again. And that the board projects a deficit by 2036 takes us away from that scenario. Think of that as if we have our American Express credit card with its limit completely exhausted, but we want to get a second card, a Visa or a MasterCard, and the bank says to you that the condition to get the second card is to first pay off the first one, the American Express, and imagine that they are requiring that while I'm unemployed and I need to continue feeding my children and paying their, to their school tuitions and so on and so forth. In Puerto Rico, that would be our essential service, services, education, et cetera. And imagine that the only option that banks give, that the banks gives me is to stop feeding my children or providing them education to pay my credit card. When what I really need is a job, I need a job. 
when what Puerto Rico needs is to grow its economy in an inclusive and sustainable way. But unfortunately, the board has not provided any sound macroeconomic plan yet. In conclusion, although we must look to the future to see how we can turn this situation around, we must not forget that from now on, we will have to pay debt again in a context of austerity with no growth foreseeable in the near future. In other words, if Puerto Rico is a vehicle that travels on the highway, and before we had two lanes that allow us to maneuver in the event of an adverse situation, now we are only allowed to circulate in one lane, that of slow vehicles, and whoever guides and will guide that vehicle is not us anymore, but the fiscal board and its vision for the future of Puerto Rico. So thank you very much, and, and I'm open to questions afterwards. Gracias, Daniel. Eh, um, sorry, let me unpin you. So um, thank you, Daniel. That was Daniel from Espacios Abiertos. And if you're plugging in right now, we are having a conversation about the recent ruling that came from U.S. courts on Puerto Rico's debt. And um, we are talking about the impact, uh, short-term and long-term impact of this ruling. And, and then just to backtrack, just in terms of some, some, some of the terms that Daniel mentioned, PROMESA is the US law that was created to create, to introduce this, this fiscal control board that has been making all the decisions about Puerto Rico's future. This fiscal control board, financial control board, La Junta, there are a lot of names for it, um, is is unelected uh, is an unelected entity that can basically overrule the the will of Puerto Ricans. So um, so far, just to quickly mention some of the the real everyday impacts of this decision making is going to be eighty four billion dollars in austerity measures, and we'll get into what austerity means and how. Um, Entities like the IMF have said that austerity doesn't work. So we're talking about $84 billion in austerity measures or draconian cuts, 33% uh, increase in electricity rates, 300 to 400% increases in toll booth uh, fees, and more than 30% increase per credit at the University of Puerto Rico. So um, we'll, we'll keep repeating that. Right now, I want to turn it over to our, our second guest and expert, Natalia Denta of the Center for Popular Democracy, and uh, which is CPD is also a, a coalition member of Powerful Puerto Rico. Welcome. Thank you, Erika, and uh, thank you, Daniel. Um, that was a great summary. Um, going, um, I wanted to follow up on what Erika started to uh, discuss, which is um, wanted to give a little bit more context on um, where we are right now by talking about what is PROMESA, right? This is, a, um, as Erika mentioned, a federal law that was passed in 2016 by the U.S. Congress and into law by the president um, that gave a, stru a, a structure for Puerto Rico to be able to restructure its debt, um, to be able to change its obligations so that, you know, all creditors wouldn't race to the to the courthouse and so that there would be you know, an orderly way to um, restructure the debt. Um, with those tools, however, uh, came the Fiscal Control Board or the board, um, which is a body made up of seven members 
who are um, appointed by the president. Um, most of them come from lists that are given by leaders of Congress and the president picks who these seven members are. So they're not actually um, accountable to the, the people of Puerto Rico at all, right? They're an unelected imposition um, on Puerto Rico. And their powers are very vast. Um, so one of the main powers that they have is that um, in the bankruptcy proceedings in court, they're actually the ones who are supposed to be representing the interests of Puerto Rico in court. Um, but again, there's no actual accountability method. Um, so so um, we haven't actually seen them right, work uh, in the best interests of Puerto Rico. Um, and, you know, in addition to representing Puerto Rico in the bankruptcy proceedings, they actually have uh, the final say in fiscal plans and budgets. And what that means is that uh, in practice is that they can block a lot of the um, legislation that comes from the local government of Puerto Rico if it doesn't abide by their fiscal plan or, or the budget they have determined um, is appropriate. Um, so they, they have a lot of power here. <laughs> um, wanted to give that context. And um, in court, uh, the different, there are different entities in Puerto Rico that have gone uh, into bankruptcy and, um, and restructured their debt. And uh, as, as Daniel mentioned, there are economists who, who evaluated the situation in Puerto Rico, and this was actually pre-Hurricane Maria, and that they said that uh, in order for uh, Puerto Rico to have a chance for, um, for, uh, for a bright economic future, a precondition to that would be to eliminate all interest in outstanding debt and cut it by up to 80%. Um, and that's not what we've seen. We've had other restructuring deals in the past that have been very generous uh, to certain bondholders who bought debt at steep discounts um, and were able to, especially um, some of them actually bought it after, after Hurricane Maria where prices were down and were able to get a huge profit from that, from that uh, restructuring. Um, and that after that debt was just not cut um, sufficiently, the experts said, we actually need to cut the remaining debt for 85 to 95% for Puerto Rico to be able, um, again, to have the tools to uh, develop an economic development plan for itself. Um, but unfortunately, what we saw with the confirmation plan is that that has not happened. And to um, also summarize like what debt we're talking about here with the confirmation plan, um, that that just happened on the 18th of this month. We're talking about the central government of Puerto Rico, and uh, which means uh, bonds that were issued by the central government of Puerto Rico. And we're also talking about uh, uh, local businesses who lent their services to the government of Puerto Rico, expecting to to be paid, right? Um, and we're we a different category that also got restructured are the retirement systems. And uh, those are have a huge impact um, on, on uh, retirees, on public servants, but also just reverberates to their families, to their communities, and to all of Puerto Rico. So this is a, a very important turning point uh, in the Puerto Rico debt crisis, because these are very important stakeholders. So one thing that I wanted to mention is that um, the board and, and a lot of the press in the United States has covered 
the resolution of this uh, of this restructuring is saying, oh, the debt is cut 80%. That number is very misleading, um, unfortunately. So for, for the bondholders, um, the judge herself actually says that the debt is only cut 31%. Um, and that is because when the board says, oh, we cut it 80%, they're not talking about the $7 billion in upfront cash they're giving to bondholders. They're also not talking about the up to $3.5 billion that bondholders could get depending on um, if the sales tax exceeds expectations uh, down the line. And that is a sales tax that is 11.5%, which is way higher than anywhere in the United States. It's very regressive, disproportionately falls on uh, low-income people. Um, so, you know, we're, we're not, that figure of 80% cut is misleading. Um, and again, the cut doesn't um, go, is not like equitable across the board, right? Um, a lot of the local businesses that lent services to the central government of Puerto Rico, their, their debt, um, which actually has an effect on the local economy, is cut a lot more um, that, than like certain investors who, who could have bought the bonds at steep discounts once it was already clear that Puerto Rico couldn't pay the full amount. Um, I do want to say um, that with the retirees, even pre-Promesa, um, there have already been a lot of cuts to, uh, to pension plans. Um, so there has already been um, a lack of cost of living adjustments across the board uh, since 2008. Um, and um, and there will be freezes from if you were a public sector worker and were expecting a certain pension um, as you know what you expected for your decades of service, um, now they're freezing those pensions and they're, they're keeping them as is and moving forward. Um, the retirement plan is basically like what you put away from, from your own salary. So it, it went from defined benefit to defined contributions. Um, so those like will have a huge effect on um, on people's like ability to to retire with with enough money to support themselves and whatever other responsibilities to family that they have, um, but I do want to say that there was a huge victory, um, and this is this is a way um, where uh, Puerto Ricans were able to organize and, and fight and win against the board, which is um, one of the cuts that the board wanted to impose was an eight point five percent cut for for um, retirees who were already retired, right? Um, so they said, okay, um, if, you, if your pension is above a certain amount, we're gonna cut it monthly 8.5%. And the board uh, insisted that this was necessary legally for the plan to be able to be confirmed and pension holders organized and fought very, very hard. Um, and there were ups and downs to, uh, to the battle, but at the end of the day, the board relented um, and said, okay, we're going to take away um, that monthly cut for for people who are already retired. Um, and you know, even though even though the board you know swore up and down, gave um, sent a lot of letters to the legislature saying like, you know, don't do this, don't do this. Um, we can't confirm it if we don't cut pensions. Like lo and behold, <laughs> um, you know, pensions of current retirees. 
um, are not going to suffer those cuts, uh, those monthly cuts. And um, that that is a testament to the power of Puerto Ricans and pension holders who were able to organize against these cuts. Um, there's a lot more to say, but um, looking forward to more discussion later on. Thank you so much, Natalia. We appreciate all the, the knowledge and information you're bringing to the table. And, and just if you're joining right now, we are having a discussion about the recent ruling that came down on Puerto Rico's debt or what's called the plan of adjustment and the impact on our family and friends and, and the island. Um, some of the points that Natalia addressed and can and we can talk about down the line is that this uh, she was debunking the 80% cut, which is really more 31%. And the fact that a lot of uh, media are not mentioning that there was a $7 billion payment up front um, and that these cuts are not equitable across the board. Uh, retirees were already facing cuts to their pensions. So the cuts that are coming down are on top of what already uh, the, the hatchet job that was already made and, and that there was a victory, which was that the board wanted to push an 8.5% cut for people who were already retired and pension holders and organizers um, fought back. And so that was, that was off the table. That is, that was put off the table um, thanks to the fact that people organized and, and pushed back. And then just for some context, PROMESA was the law that was created to restructure Puerto Rico's debt. And it created, as I mentioned earlier, this fiscal control board um, that we call the Junta or the Colonial Board. It is an unelected body that is not accountable to the people of Puerto Rico. And it has vast powers. Um, so and as Natalia has emphasized, it has not worked in the best interests of the Puerto Rican people. And it undemocratically can block legislation that comes out of the Puerto Rico legislature, which, you know, um, we're going to get into that question later about what are the implications for democracy. But um, a lot of you out there are um, and some of the suggestions, some of the, the comments we've seen on social media um, that, that have been, in my opinion, snarky is that Puerto Ricans don't want to pay their debt that that's what we get for reckless management, et cetera. And we need to talk about the nature of the debt and how we got here. And a lot of the questions that came that come up around these numbers that are thrown out. So with that, I wanna turn it over to Eva Prados who has been on the forefront of a citizen movement to audit the debt. Um, she's a lawyer and former candidate and, and just a warrior um, like other folks on the call for, for Puerto Rico, Eva. Thank you, Erica, and thank you for this opportunity. Just as Erica said, um, my name is Eva Prados. I'm part of the Citizen Front uh, for the Audit of the Public Debt, eh, Frente Ciudadano por la Auditoría de la Deuda, a wide-range coalition in Puerto Rico created by non-governmental organization, professional association, labor unions, academics, students, and human rights defenders that demand a comprehensive audit of Puerto Rico public debt in order to ascertain the legality and correctness of the decision and processes that lead to our current juncture. Um, it could determine, for example, what part of the Puerto Rico debt were illegally accumulated and thus are moved. Those an old part of the debt would providing savings to the government of Puerto Rico could use to pay public pension and essential services. An audit of the debt could promote the imposition of civil and criminal liability for individuals and entities that were either 
responsible for the illegal transaction or benefit from them. The funds cover, recover, I'm sorry, recover from these complaints could then be used for payful expansions and essential services. An audit also could allow the people of Puerto Rico to learn about the causes and practices that lead to its debt accumulation and participate in the development of alternatives to prevent future debt crises. But the audit of the debt have not uh, do it by even the government or the fiscal control board. And what we have now is a plan of adjustment of the Commonwealth that not only promote an unsustainable payment of the debt and sacrifice their right to a fair pension for our teacher, but also prevents Puerto Rico for pursuing the cancellation of 21 bond insurance totally 13.5 billion in principle, or 40% of the debt that was restructuring in this plan. Before negotiating extremely generous debt repayment terms with the owners of those bonds, which were mostly built through funds, those bonds has been challenged since 19, 2019 by the Fiscal Control Board and the Unsecured Creditors Committee in the PROMESA bankruptcy proceedings, because they had been issued in violation of the Constitution of Puerto Rico. The plan of adjustment also prevents the government from continu continuing over 120 complaints against 20 banks, underwriters, and other participants in those challenges Puerto Rico bond insurance, seeking to recoup over 30 billions in funds for the payments and commission made by for illegal transactions. Finally, the debt adjustment plans leaves Puerto Rico without tangible answers for its fiscal and economic crisis and with string feelings of impotence and impunity. Those responsible have not only failed to be accountable for their action, some actively participate in the restructuring process and are now released from any responsibility over this transaction. Does the people of Puerto Rico and are now left alone to bear the painful consequence of this plan without learning any lessons of the causes of this crisis and without current strategic for economic development that could prevent a future default. For these and many reasons, we join Espacios Abiertos and the Sindicato Puerto Riqueño de Trabajadores as well as teacher students and students and retiree organization, so federation, Federación de Maestros de Puerto Rico, Asociación Puerto Riqueña de Profesores Universitarios, Frente en Defensa de las Pensiones, Construyamos Otro Acuerdo, and University Student Movement in Creating the Jornada Contra el Tumbe, a grassroots and organizing campaign designed to denounce the pillaging of Puerto Rican resources and public funds orchestra by the Debt Adjustment Plan. While those efforts did not prevent the final approval of the plan, as Natalia said, we at least prevent the proposed 85.0% pension cut proposed by the board, an important victory of for retirees. Next step, the bankruptcy proceeding have not concluded. Next up is the debt adjustment plan for the Puerto Rico Energy and Power Authority, PREPA, in which the board once again has decided to side with bolster funds. This plan seeks to restructure $9 billion in revenue bonds, that is bonds that were only paid if PREPA reached a particular revenue threshold. 
by securing those claims, imposing an additional debt repayment charge in Puerto Rican energy bills for the next 40, 40 years. Even worse, the plan completely released Luma Energy, the private company that has assumed administration of Puerto Rico energy infrastructure from any responsibility of the payment of said debt, thus privatizing one of the Puerto Rico most important assets without even recouping PREPA's debt in the deal. Finally, the plan fails to challenge bond issue in violation of the debt limits clause of PREPA's bondholders. PREPA include uncollected debt as revenue and fail to include capitalized interest of debt. While this transaction did not defraud bondholders, they defraud the people of Puerto Rico who should not be held responsible for the repayment of bond issue in those terms. Additionally, we now begin the process of implementation of all the new debt repayment government plans, a proposal that is sure to be riffed with controversy as pressure to impose new rounds of neoliberal austerity in order to guarantee compliance with those plans seem to be in the rising. From the citizen front, we will continue to monitor and fiscalize both the government and the board, as well as educating and organizing the people resistance against injustice in order to defend our human rights to a dignified future in our land. Thank you, uh, and I'm open to further questions. Thank you, Eva, appreciate that. Um, so you just heard from Eva Prados, who has been at the forefront of a citizen audit movement in Puerto Rico. There were hundreds of thousands people, of people that signed on to it. So the Puerto Rican people were very clear about wanting transparency around the debt, um, as any of us would. If you get a factura bill in the mail and, and, you, and you get it all of a sudden a high interest on that bill or it, it's, it soars up, you want, a detail, you want details about why, why that is. And you know, many of you have, that have looked at bills, you see all these like tucked in fees, et cetera, et cetera. And um, these are decisions that wind up affecting our pocket and our, our livelihood and our ability to, to live. Um, as, as Eva mentioned, uh, there are a few points I want to recap that Eva mentioned, which is that some of the, some of the bonds that around that are the focal point of the debt are were illegally issued in violation of the Constitution of Puerto Rico. The plan of adjustment prevents people from pursuing complaints against banks. So this is effect. This is basically a muzzle. And Eva, correct me if I'm if I'm off on anything, please. And. Um, the, this whole debt restructuring process is not over now. It's going to turn to the Puerto Rico Energy and Power Authority, and the implications on that front could be 40 years. And the plan, as, as all of us were hearing about all the, the blackouts on the island that just became a, norm, a normalcy, and the plan releases the entity that has been supervising, that has been responsible for those blackouts, Luma Energy, from any payment. So I, you know, I, I want to now just kind of we're going to take any questions and comments that any anyone posts in the Facebook chat. And I see that there are some people that are requesting the detailed plan, which will set will post a link. But, you know, I, I want to turn just kind of turn back a little bit to some of the, the, the other implications that some of you have brought up, which is one. Um, what does this say? What does it say about the ability of Puerto Rico to make decisions for itself? Like, what, what are we learning about this whole process? Because Puerto Rico supposedly is a self-ruling commonwealth, 
that is under U.S. jurisdiction. So what does this this say about that status? I can I can start with that one. Um, so the ruling of the judge is very clear. So you have a plan of adjustment that, as I was saying, it's not operating in a vacuum. There is a fiscal plan that defines precisely what you can do and what you cannot do for the next decades to come. And validating this plan of adjustment comes with that, comes with that weight. And somehow, uh, when the legislature here in Puerto Rico, and I'm directly also the executive branch, allow this deal to happen, they are basically resigning, resigning in the near future to make their own public policy decisions. Why? Because this is like a puzzle. I mean, you have to pay $1.5 billion for the next 30 years, but you have complied with a series of policies, those structural reforms and, and, and those uh, austerity measures that are necessary in the first place to bring, according to the board, right, to bring the necessary savings that will allow you to pay the debt. And that's where some of our experts were pushing back hardly and saying, what Puerto Rico needs in the very first place is a sound and feasible and credible macroeconomic plan. And you are implementing austerity measures that they haven't worked basically in any, in the recent history in any country, not in Greece, not in Latin America, not in Argentina. And Puerto Rico is not going, is not going to be an exception to that rule. It's not going to work in Puerto Rico too. So you are unnecessarily, and that, those are my words, um, making suffer Puerto Rico when you have a past experience about this policy, that this policy, this policy actually is not working. And just to address directly your question, um, some of the policymakers, when I was in the legislature presenting Espatios um, Abiertos objections to this plan, I was very surprised and very shocked to uh, hear from our policymakers that, well, we need to get rid of the board because once they are out, we will be able to do our own policy. And that's a fallacy. That's not going to work. You are basically captured by this fiscal plan and you have to comply with it because otherwise you won't be complying with the role of the judge. So it's not that now the University of Puerto Rico is receiving cuts and oh, let's get rid of the board because then we, we, I will compensate the UPR. No, you won't be able to do it. You will be captured of, this part of, the, of the board's policy. You will have to pay the $1.5 billion and you won't have, you won't have any money to, to, to fund essential services. To, so in, in that regard, you are basically uh, you know, uh, giving the power to the board and, and, and you won't be able to, to recoup that. 
Gracias, Daniel. We're, uh, I want to hear from Natalia and Eva, and I want to get to a question that was posed that's in relation to one of your comments by Alexis Ortiz on, on our Facebook page. So Natalia, Eva, any comments on that question? Yeah, I think um, Daniel did a great job explaining exactly like the nitty gritty on the ground, uh, what that looks like. I just wanted to also uh, mention that um, taking a step back more structurally, um, PROMESA, which is the law that created this board um, and imposed this entity with so much control again, not just um, negotiating debt restructurings um, on behalf of Puerto Rico, um, even though it's not accountable to the people um, and uh, having a final say of fiscal plans and budgets. Um, but the, the reason um, PROMESA was able to happen. It's based on the power um, in the territorial clause of the U.S. Constitution, which basically says like the United States can um, do whatever they want with the territories, right? So um, that's why um, you know they the United States was able to just create this board uh, which usurps so much control uh, over the local government and over the local people. Um, it's based on this. Um, you know, on, on the fact that, that Puerto Rico is um, the, a territory of the United States, which means it's a colony. Okay, um, I'll, thank you so much, Natalia. I wanna turn to a, a, one of the major concerns among folks in general, and there's a question by Alexis Ortiz. Can you talk a little more about what this means for the UPR and what can be what can be done? And just before we we launch into that, for people who may not be familiar and that are listening, and the University of Puerto Rico is is the island's public university system. It is the crown jewel of not only Puerto Rico but the Caribbean and the Western Hemisphere. I would would say, and it produces the island's labor force. The um, a lot of innovation and research. University of Puerto Rico students have just as recently um, beat out MIT in competition. So this is our, our creative, innovative um, engine, you know, and, and it's it's being dismantled in many ways. So I'll, I, I wanna throw that question out about what's happening to the University of Puerto Rico. Someone, um, Daniel had mentioned that credits, the price, the cost of credits are going to go up in a jurisdiction that has the median, that has the lowest median income of all of the United States, lower than Mississippi. So I would love to hear thoughts about what's happening with the University of Puerto Rico and what can be done. So, yeah, very briefly, I, 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 I consider the University of Puerto Rico like the jewel of the crown, right? So Puerto Rico has been able to forge its, its middle class by institutions like the University of Puerto Rico. And every country that tries to compete nowadays uh, in the 21st century to attract investment uh, and to grow uh, its economy inclusively, uh, they are basically investing in putting tons of money in education. And that's a vision of the fiscal board. The fiscal board uh, is trying to just implement on the short term easy measures that guarantee that you will have enough money to pay uh, your creditors. And, and I was hearing also another comment about this idea of, oh, the thing is that you guys, Puerto Ricans, don't want to pay your debt and you have to commit 
the, the, the relationship between creators and debtors, it's not like, uh, it's not, it has asymmetries in power, no? It's not like uh, when, 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 when a creator is giving you money, uh, is evaluating somehow your capability to, to pay back those, those monies. And we are talking not about any type of creditor, but hedge funds or, 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 or vulture funds that were back in 2015, they were basically saying, okay, I'm gonna give you $3 billion for what represents a shark loan, 8.73% that they understand, they understand that you cannot pay back. They understand that and they are issuance those bonds for a place like Puerto Rico that represents a high risk for them. But this is profitable for them because as I said before, the rules are written by them for, for their benefits. And, 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 and the results are history, right? But for the University of Puerto Rico, uh, I would say it's important to understand that they were receiving a billion dollars of appropriations from the general fund and they have been cut by half. And that's what, and the effect of that, it's, it's gonna be less quality, less production of knowledge, more migration. So I have a niece that went to the UPR and this is a different UPR that, I don't know, uh, my wife went to, it's a different UPR. I mean, you, you, you start feeling the lack of resources and, 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 and professors are, are also feeling that, right? So this is going to be like a, a, an open wound that's going to bleed slowly and, and it's going to drain um, the talent and the potential, uh, the potential great minds that want to be in Puerto Rico, studying in Puerto Rico, in the University of Puerto Rico. And, and that's what's at stake. And, and, and the decisions of the board are going to accelerate this process. And the destruction of, of future opportunities is what those decisions at the end bring. So, and that's I'm, th th those are my brief comments about that. Gracias, Daniel. Aunt Eva, do you have any thoughts on, on the impact on la UP? Que se puede hacer? I think that Daniel um, pointed out, highlighted the, the most important aspect, you know, the, the, the first or the main source of resources to the UPR is the general fund. And, uh, and this plan of, of debt adjustment is, will, be, will be paid by the general fund also. So what money do you allocate for the debt? is less money that you can use for the university. That's the, the principal issue regarding why the UPR has been affected or will be affected by this restructuring um, that proceedings because the UPR is not, not direct affected by the plan, but what money you use for this death will be less money for the university. And you have also that the board has a ideological <laughs> agenda against the university as a public institution. And they have said a lot of times that the university should um, receive less and less and less public funds for their operation. And just as Daniel said, almost half of their you know, resources has been cut by the, by the 
junta, and the fiscal plan propose more cuts in the in the in the future. So this this is a really huge issue uh, regarding the, the future of the university. And I think that that will be another issue that we have to work in in our next step, defense the university and put their resources before you know um, we fail to 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 our students and to the future of the country. Thank you, Eva. And, and just to circle back to what um, Natalia has said, had said earlier, the Financial Control Board, La Junta, does not have the best interests of Puerto Rico at heart, because if it did, it wouldn't have put the University of Puerto Rico and many other institutions on the chopping block. People understand that universities are, are the heart of, of um, so many, so much innovation and of our people. Um, and, and I do want to mention, because it was, uh, I think it came up earlier, Natalie Juresco, uh won with this plan. She made, I don't have it quoted correctly, it, exactly, but she made a comment that the Puerto Rico, people of Puerto Rico should be grateful. That's one. And two, one of the interesting things that I think has not been reported or looked into in depth is that Natalie Juresco, um, who is the executive director of the Fiscal Control Board, La Junta, also oversaw the debt restructuring of Ukraine's um, uh, Ukraine's uh, debt, and the Ukrainian Parliament opened a probe into that because they took issues with it. So I always thought that that was interesting. It seemed to be like a thread that people didn't follow up on, but I'm interested in definitely knowing why there have been complaints about her in other places as well. But I wanted to I want to go quickly to um, a couple of questions that have been posted. From, one is from Maritza Martinez, um, and I would ask that people respond concisely. Um, this is specifically for Natalia. Can Natalia explain her statement on how the debt will fall on the backs of low-income residents? Um, yeah, yeah. So if you can explain a little bit more on how the, the debt will fall on the backs of low-income residents. Yeah, um, in several ways, actually. So one is what Eva um, uh, just mentioned, right? Um, that a lot of this money is that we're talking about is the general fund of the central government of Puerto Rico. So the more you are paying um, bondholders who are not based in Puerto Rico, who might have bought the debt at a steep discount, the less money there is um, to actually invest in institutions like the University of Puerto Rico, to invest in public services um, and what Puerto Ricans locally right, like need to thrive. Um, the other, the other way um, is that the um, as part of the central uh, government uh, debt, there are also a lot of like local um, businesses that let their services that are not you know multi million dollar corporations, um, and that debt um, is being slashed a lot more. So if you you know are a small business that lent services to the central government of Puerto Rico, like you're facing a lot uh, steeper cuts. And then the last like very significant way is um, public servants um, of, of the central government that have that are um, seeing their uh, retirement dwindle. So we talked about the great um, achievement of preventing the, the monthly cuts to current retirees. Um, but the reality is that those retirees have already faced a lot of cuts uh, from um, getting rid of the cost of living adjustments. And um, uh, the retiree, uh, current, um, current employees 
um, that will retire in the future, like will no longer have like a guaranteed, you know, what they thought they would get down the line in terms of retirement, they're getting instead of that defined benefit of like, okay, I know if I work X number of years, I'm going to get like X amount of money a month. Now it's going to be a defined contribution, which means like, you know, whatever gets like taken out of your paycheck for your retirement is, you know, basically what you get as opposed to it coming from like a central pot of guaranteed benefit down the line. Um, so those are very concrete ways where, um, you know, where it, there's a disproportionate um, falling on, on, on folks uh, locally and, and people with lower incomes. Erica, I, I just want to add what, what Natalia said, that the, the next uh, plan of adjustment, the that regard PREPA, will put the payment of the debt to the, to the people directly because we will increase the, the cost of energy putting on a specific um, you know, uh, recharge in the, in, the, in the payment. So if there's a lot of studies that show that the people with low, in, low incomes will be more affected because it's like a, you know, like a new tax that have this proportional impact in the, in the people with low income that with higher income. Thank you, One Emma. One more thing I forgot to mention is the 11.5% sales tax. Um, so, you know, um, that sounds like, oh, everybody pays it, but um, if you're low income, like that you feel that a lot more in buying the things you need or want uh, to live your life. Thank you both so much. Um, I'm gonna take, there, uh, there are a bunch of comments and questions in the chat that I urge folks to take a look at, but um, I, before I turn it over to my colega Federico de Jesus, I want to emphasize this question that is, and forgive me if I'm mispronouncing your name, Naniki Reyes Ocasio, and she says, I would like to hear more about potential solutions, actions, and what can be done. I think that's a really critical question because people want to do something. Are you passing it to me? No, I'm passing it to the panelists. Yeah, I yeah, I'll take this one. This is the, the hard one, right? Uh, and and I'm gonna come back to, to my first reflection when I when I was saying that the board is not providing the most important tool that Puerto Rico needs is a is a is a macroeconomic plan. There are no, it's absent, there are no uh, there is no plan whatsoever. And the problem here is that the, 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 the macroeconomic plan has to come from a consensus. It, it, it should be like a, a bottom-up uh, project and not decided by seven unelected uh, members of the fiscal board that have uh, its uh, own agenda, their own agenda, and, and, and their past private trajectories that you know can be uh, somehow um, not beneficial for the future of Puerto Rico, and and this is something that um, Daniel, I'm sorry to interrupt. That we uh, we need to because we need to start wrapping up soon, and Federico sure. has some closing comments. So we just for people who are listening, what can they do as individuals or as, or as members of organizations? To, to support Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico and possibly pushing back or heading off this new round or, or whatever it is in relation to this? 
is for me a question or general? for the panel for you the panel yeah. just okay uh, well, well the, I think that you know that it, the the bankruptcy proceeding just as I said have not end and even though the the process could could have a, a, a final in this year that that does not depend uh, the you know the, do not end the conversation regarding the debt and the implication of the of its payment for the people of puerto rico so i think that is very important that people get more involved about these conversations thank you so much for this space in the in the uh, citizen front will still continue this year and, and showing the people the implication of this decision and have the um, and be you know be more involved in defend the, the University of Puerto Rico defend the retirement system of the, of the teachers, and and you still questioning the the the, the junta agenda against Puerto Rico well-being. Thank you, Eva. So I. I want to thank our panelists and I want to remind folks out there that we need to stand by for for action and pushing back and and just to, to a reminder that our community is our community has a history of as Juan Cartagena has put it as for as for punching above its weight. So and I, I opened this panel by saying that part of colonialism is making us feel like things are a done deal that uh, is using shock and awe tactics to make us feel overwhelmed. And we have to keep that perspective as, as we fight back and, and we're strategic and we organize and mobilize together. So I wanna thank our panelists and for closing thoughts, I want to turn it over to Power for Puerto Rico Senior Policy Advisor, Federico de Jesus. Thank you, Erica, and thank you to all the panelists and for all of you for watching. Um, great presentations. I'm glad that we were able to highlight uh, issues that haven't been discussed widely in the mainstream media. Um, I, you know, I can't substitute your your expertise and in, in, in summing everything up, but I will say that uh, today we learned why, despite that five years ago people were saying this was a law promesa to save Puerto Rico, um, you all have done a great job in explaining why it will actually mortgage our future for the next decades um, and potentially tie Puerto Rico to more undemocratic actions um, that the board and the court are locking Puerto Rico into. Uh, I personally feel that. Uh, the undemocratic nature of all of this should not be looked over. Uh, some are writing columns excusing colonialism, uh, like Natalie Jaresco, Antonio Weiss, uh, with you know basically arguments that don't hold water in terms of how much Puerto Rico will actually pay back on its debt. So I'm really glad we held this panel. People asked about what actions can be taken. Um, I wanted to mention that the Congress and President Biden didn't act a law to avoid conflicts of interest in the contracting and procurement practices of the FOMB. And Judge Laura Taylor Swain already ordered that those disclosures start. So we need to be uh, vigilant um, to those uh, conflicts of interest. The big one being obviously McKenzie, uh, who was advising the board while one of their subsidiaries owned uh, Puerto Rico debt, and they've had to pay millions of dollars in fines. So. Uh, Promesa hasn't really achieved what it set out to, uh, and we need to mobilize as a community, as a diaspora and allies. Um, so we really thank you for, for your participation and hope that you tell others, tell your members of Congress, Puerto Rico's debt has still not been audited. Um, there is still illegal debt and Puerto Rico's self-government and democratic future hang in the balance. So thank you very much.
Thank you all for listening to this special bonus episode of the Paseo podcast. If you want to actually watch the panel, just head over to Power for Puerto Rico's Facebook page. It's up there. You can see the full panel discussion. If you don't already, keep up with us by following at Paseo podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to our Paseo podcast YouTube channel. You can also support the show by leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever the highest rating is on the app you're listening to this on. Leaving a five-star rating and a positive comment really helps more people find the show too. See you next week. Cuídate.